Well, we didn't get uh, quite done with the with the passage this morning, and um, I'm going to sew that up. Uh, we're going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount and um, look at the uh, James is filled with with uh, quotes from the Sermon on the Mount, even though they're uh, they're paraphrases or indirect quotes. I noted that to you this morning in this um, in this James chapter. A chapter five passage, and then we're going to end this evening with uh, with prayer, and um, we'll pray over pray over Jeff and I, and I'll tell you uh, what we're going to be doing whenever we get over there, and how uh, it's a pretty big deal that I'm going to uh, ask you to to be praying about. Um, probably remind you of uh, some other things that uh, that we've been praying about as far as our church is concerned, and the. Uh, looking for an offer on this property and just how we ended up the year. So a lot of different things uh, we're going to cover tonight, but all coming back to the provision of God and, um, and being centered on the, uh, on the kingdom. And in James chapter 5, uh, we're, we come to the third point about uh, living a grace-filled life, how you use your, uh, how you use your things. And and James is, is outlining the lifestyle of the proud and how that denies true religion. If you remember, the theme of James is, is living faith. Faith that is alive produces works. And what do those works look like? Well, he tells us back in chapter 1 that pure religion, uh, um, religion that is genuine before the Father, before God, is, is, is seen, it's revealed... Uh, ultimately, in in how you treat the widows and the fatherless, which are the least of these, what we do whenever we have power uh, to do something, and what we do for those that cannot give us anything in return, truly reveals our heart. James also talks a lot about the tongue, because uh, the Bible says, "Out of the heart the mouth speaks," and so it's not just it's not just the this this thick muscle that's in our mouths that we sure would like to, uh, to stick back in our mouths sometimes. But, but that muscle, ultimately, James says, is connected to our heart. He talks a lot about the tongue because, because it's, the, it's the ultimate manifestation. You know, you can, you can think things in your mind and not, and not say them. You can have things going on in your heart. You can feel certain things and not, and not um, act on them. But whenever the tongue ultimately moves, whether whether it's controlled or whether it's it's not, and and what we what we say also reveals uh, reveals our hearts. And, and as I said, I think last Sunday night, if you take these 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 three uh, areas that we're looking at, how we treat others, how you plan your days, and and how you use your things, it give a real good picture of your religion, of your Christianity. Um, James unfolds this, this, this final point as a, as a multifaceted sin. sin is, uh, sins are like burrs. Uh, they usually uh, come together and they usually stick together. Uh, you usually don't find a single sin. Um, a person who, uh, who is an adulterer uh, is also a liar. Uh, here, a person who, who hoards, a person who whose heart is controlled by things, uh, as we're going to see through the rest of the verse, 
uh, sins in, in other ways, abuses people, um, uh, ultimately lives uh, as a pleasure seeker, and then will go to any lengths in order to hold on to, to their God, to, to what, they, uh, what they love. It's, and he begins with this accumulation of, of wealth and property for the wrong reason. And I keep emphasizing that because we, we have a tendency to think that somehow taking a vow of poverty is, is a spiritual thing to do, uh, and that's not, not what the Bible says. Uh, it says whether you're poor or whether you're rich, the issue is your heart and whether you use those things for, for the kingdom or you use those things for self-consumption. And so he begins here in James chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Come now, uh, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming, future, that are coming upon you. So they're weeping and howling for what is going to, to happen in the future because of their current circumstances. They have riches, they have garments, they have gold and silver, and they are worthless. They're corrupted, moth-eaten, and corroded because they're not engaged in kingdom work. They're, they're used for, for nothing to do with the, with, with the gospel. He says, you have heaped up treasure in the, in the last days. So he gives three phases here describing their, the, the depth of, their, of their, their sin. It's an accumulation of goods without using them. And the true motivation is, is theirs. It says those who hoard cannot expect to be pleased with them. They can expect uh, divine, divine judgment. And it's a matter of faith. And here's where I want to take you back to the, to the Sermon on the Mount. So turn back to Matthew chapter 6. It's a matter of, of heart that reveals your master and that reveals, it ultimately is, uh, is driven by, by faith. So here's what James is referencing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. You know this passage very well. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, I want you to notice in verse 20, he doesn't tell us to not have treasures. As a matter of fact, he commands us to have treasures. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's treasures in the wrong place because they, they're temporary. Moth and rust destroyed. Lay for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Well, in relations to our James passage, it's those earthly treasures being used for, for the Lord. Racks up treasures in, in heaven. And he tells us in verse 21 why. He gives these, this, this statement. For or because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now he moves from the treasure into how it reveals your heart. It ultimately reveals your master. The lamp of the body is the eye, therefore the eye is good. The whole, your whole body will be full of light. It talks about single focus. 
But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the, is the darkness? And here's his point. No man can serve two masters. You can't ride the fence in treasure. Four, you can't serve two masters. He's going to explain why. Verse 24, you either hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. Definitive statement. You cannot serve God and, and mammon. From treasure to master to a matter of faith. Look at verse 25. Therefore, based upon these truths that he's just laid out before us and how he's explained it, he says, don't lay up treasures on earth, lay up treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. So it's a matter of the heart. And the heart has to be single-focused. talks about the, the, the lamp of the, of the body is the, is the eye. The window of the soul is the, is the eye. It's either good or bad. There's no middle ground. You can't serve two masters. Therefore, because of that, those, those truths, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body. What is your life? Uh, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds, how your father feeds them. Are you not more important than the birds? And besides that, which of you can add uh, one cubit of stature by worrying? So, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies. Why are, consider the lilies. Why are you preoccupied with with these? These earthly things. If God, in verse 30, can clothe the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will He not clothe you? It's a matter of faith. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. Don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is all about God's fatherly provision. He's saying, if you lay up treasures in, in heaven and not on earth, if you're single-focused on the kingdom... If you serve Christ and not worldly things and not, and not money, the natural question that may come to the human heart is, well, how am I going to eat? How am I going to provide for these things? And he says it's a matter of faith. That if your father is your master, he's promised to, to care for, for you. It's a matter of treasure, it's a matter of master, and then it ultimately is a manifestation of faith. Turn back over to James. So here is a group of people that are connected to the church somehow, presumably believers, professing believers, who are not following those principles. They're heaping up these treasures in they're doing that even in the even in the last days. And he's saying that those, those treasures are corrupted, moth-eaten, and corroded, and there'll be a witness against you on the, on the last days. One of the ways that God protects us from this danger that, that He gives in, uh, speaks to us about in James is, is He requires regular giving of, 
of Christians. The command that He gives to us to give as part of the Christian life protects you and protects me from from falling into uh, into this sin. I've I could give you a number of examples of of being in being in seminary, preparing for uh, for ministry, being in situations where. Uh, you didn't know how. We didn't know how we were going to make ends meet. We didn't know how we were going to pay this doctor bill or whatever. And the Lord came through. <laughs> it's a matter of faith. It's a it's a way of strengthening faith. There have been a number of times in my life, as I'm sure in your life, whenever you look at the bank account and you say, "Okay, it's time to write the the tithe check or the offering check," and and um, I don't exactly know how uh, that's gonna that's gonna take place and. And the bills are going to get paid at the at the end, and yet you write the the offering the offering check and trust the trust the Father. The command to give as a Christian protects you by giving you a weekly chance to be reminded that your Father will provide for you, and that life ultimately is about the is about the gospel. And when you turn loose of that that offering every week. Every month, however you do it, you relinquish control to the Lord. You acknowledge ownership to the Lord. And, it, and it's a way of sanctifying your heart. It, it, it protects you. Not doing that hurts you. It doesn't hurt the Lord, as we know he's, He owns everything anyway. He can do whatever He wants to do. It doesn't hurt us or it doesn't hurt Him. It hurts, it hurts us. You might think of it as, as there's two ways to live. Uh, you can live like the Dead Sea or you can live like the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has, has, an, has, has an inflow and an outlet. And it is alive. It's teeming with, with life. Uh, that's where Peter and the rest of them were fishing. It, it provides for, for the community. It's, it's full of life. It, it has something coming in and something coming out. The Dead Sea only has something coming in and nothing going out. And it is just like its name. It's dead. <laughs> There's nothing living in it. And, and a, a pool of water that, that's, that's like a spring is a, is a very refreshing thing. Um, but one of the things that would happen uh, where I was growing up, we had a pond in our, in our front yard, and whenever it would get very hot, dog days of summer as it was called, the creek would would dry up and there would be nothing that would flow out of the pond and it would turn green with algae and begin to stink. Your heart can become like a stagnant pool with a lot of things coming in and nothing going out. And, but this passage doesn't just stop with, with, with hoarding this. Once a person's heart, they treasure the wrong things. Once it gets fixed there... Sin usually doesn't stop. It, it goes further. Look at verse 4. Indeed, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back, now that's key, by fraud, it's also key, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord. He, he moves from hoarding to defrauding. This is not only do, do our things testify to God on our behalf, how we acquire them testifies to God on, on our behalf. Not just what we do with what we have, but how we get what we, we have. This, these 
the people that James is talking about here, they'd made their wealth sinfully by defrauding their, their workers. They were Christian businessmen, or they were businessmen in somehow, and they, they cheated their, their workers' pay. The idea is to withhold wages. It was a wealthy landowner that, that would, would hire day laborers and they would agree with him on a, on a wage and then they would go out to the work in the field and they got paid at the end of the day. As I told you this morning, we are all in this passage because we're not working daily to get our bread for, for the next day. So they would agree and then they would go out and, and work in the field and at the end of the day they would settle up and get paid. You may remember Jesus' parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20, where he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. That's exactly what's, what's being pictured here. And now when they had agreed, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. That's what's happening. So, so here, is a, here is a rich landowner who has went out and agreed in the morning... He hired laborers. He made a contract with them. He sent them out into the field to pay them at the, at the end of the day. And the landowner hired them, and he had the power to, to hire them for whatever wage he could get them to, to work. Um, you'll work pretty cheap if you're hungry, won't you? And the point of Jesus' parable uh, back in Matthew 20 was about, the, was about the heart of the worker. Remember? You know, he, he goes out and and uh, uh, hires for, for, for the same amount, but then gives different amounts. Here in James, it's about, the heart of the, it's about the heart of the landowner, not the heart of the worker. The businessman who, who, is, who is professing Christ is either getting the workers for as cheap as they could so they could make maximum profit to accumulate wealth without any consideration of uh, of others, or worse, he's agreeing with them in the morning as a Christian. They work all day, and then they come in. They agree for a dollar, and then they come in. and He gives them seventy-five cents and says, "Take it or leave it." And as Christians, that obviously wouldn't be would be pleasing to the Lord. And I think that 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 the point that you can take away from this is the Bible would demand both those. Who, who are in those positions of authority and those who work to consider one another. You may have uh, recently uh, seen the demand by fast food workers who, who are making about $7.40 an hour in Detroit and in other places, demand $15 an hour. And the organizers and the workers, uh, uh, many of whom are making this minimum wage, uh, they, they encourage them to walk off the jobs, come in, set the business owner up to where they think that they've got enough people to work for them, and then whenever they come in, and right when rush hour uh, hits, walk off the job, and then see what they're going to do. And they, they did this in Detroit, and they chanted, hold the pickles, hold the fries, make our wages supersized. That's what they were chanting outside. That's not any better than what James is saying here. If you're a Christian employee, that's not how you behave. Trying to hurt a company to get your demands is, is not any more, any more or no less sinful than a company trying to abuse its workers for, for maximum profit. 
They agreed for the $7.40 an hour. They ought to work for the $7.40 an hour. And James says the cries of the worker in this case, it's not what was happening. It reached the ears of God. I mean, th- look, at, look, at, look at how he, how he echoes the Old Testament again. You know, in verse 1 he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And that's like the prophet of the Old Testament. Now he echoes all the way back to the Exodus. So the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord. The cries of Israel in their slavery in Egypt had reached the ears of the Lord. And so he sends, he sends Moses. Proverbs 22, verse 16 says, He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth comes to poverty. I mean, the point in the Bible is not about making a profit. Making a profit, there's nothing sinful about that. It's to abuse the poor for the purpose. It's making a profit off the backs of the poor intentionally. There's some will use these verses to say that Jesus was against making a profit and as a Christian in business we shouldn't, but that's not the point at all. As a matter of fact, through the book of Acts, we, we talked about that one, uh, one message about G- was Jesus a socialist and looked at the, the, uh, uh, the selling of, uh, uh, of everything that they had and, and all things common. Um, you can see all the way up to Ananias and Sapphira that they still own the property themselves. And Ananias and Sapphira, the issue was lying to the Holy Spirit. He says, it was yours. It was in your hands. You could have kept it. <laughs> so well, why did you sell it and then say you gave it all and kept back half of it? That was the issue. I mean, they still had personal property. They still had rights to the personal property. They were the ones that were making the decision. That was under the, wasn't under the command of, of, the, of the Lord. And just like here, there's just nothing wrong with, with, with having laborers or having a field or, or making a profit. It's the issue of abuse. That's why I said it's, it's important. It says, which you kept back by fraud. That's the key. That's the sin that's there. And the point is, as we make profit, we should submit our business principles to the Lordship of Christ. The answer to fix abuses, wherever the system is, is to have converted businessmen. (laughs) That's the issue. It's not to have a mandated minimum wage from the government or form a union or strike or whatever else. It's If we follow the Bible, all of those other things would be be taken care of. And as believers, we we operate in the world, but not of the world, but, but we operate under the Lordship of Christ. So we live on earth, we own personal property, we buy and we sell, we make a profit, all under the lordship of the Christ, uh, uh, lordship of Christ, we render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. We render unto God the things that are God's. We say, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And there's the point. That's why an individual operating within whatever system it is, the key is is honoring Christ. And some of the times that doesn't make any sense. As a Christian, you may decide not you may decide to not buy supplies from a company that 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 uses slave labor in in production, abuses the poor. You may you may make a decision not to buy products used in or connected to abortion. Tell unbelieving stockholders uh, uh, you want to cut profit this year to you know 
to give to a Christian cause or, or some other thing. That doesn't make any sense. Christians operate differently in, in some of the decisions that they make, but they still operate in the world. They still operate in the business world. You and I own property, make money, grow, pursue, but the gospel demands that we do it in a way that makes Christ look more valuable than our business. And that's the point. So as an employee, you seek to work in such a way that Christ looks more important in your work. As an owner, you seek to make money in such a way that Christ looks more important than making the money. And that's not what's going on here. Hoarding leads to abuse, to get more money, and then that leads to overindulgence. Look at verse 5. It goes from hoarding to abuse to indulging. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your, your hearts. Not only have they accumulated it for the sake of having it and acquired it in sinful ways, but they became consumed with the pursuit of pleasure. There are two words that are used here, pleasure and luxury. Wanton pleasure. The first word in pleasure means to be soft, to live in ease. It's not a negative word, but the context here demands that it is. If you take it that way. It was used in the state, of, the state that, uh, that God brought Israel into the land. They, second word is luxury, or and it is negative. It's wanton pleasure. In 1 Timothy 5.6, this word is used with the, with the widow who, who lives in pleasure, in wanton pleasure. She's dead while she lives. It's the idea to give in to self-indulgence to where you literally pursue it. MacArthur said, A life without self-denial soon becomes out of control. What does a person who has everything want? Just a little more. And you give them a little more, and what do they want? Just a little more. How much is enough? Does more fulfill them? No. It's a bottomless pit. The heart is a bottomless pit. It's an idle factory. And the more you get, the more you want living under this principles. But, as a believer... Follow the principle that Wesley gave us this morning. The more you get, the more you give, then you have purpose. James goes on to say, you fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter, living, living that way. It's very interesting. There was a study done monitoring cattle as they were going into the slaughterhouse. It monitored cattle's response as they walked down the slaughterhouse chute. And whatever they did, there was no elevation whatsoever in their heart rate and their brain waves. That's fascinating. They had no idea what was about to happen to them. Fat, dumb, and happy. Just moving right along. Moving right along. And James says that the self-indulgent are the same way. It's how the Bible describes the, the coming of the Lord, just as it was in the day of Noah. They're eating and drinking and marrying. They're going about their daily business until the day of judgment comes upon them like a thief. The self-indulgent are just going about fulfilling their pleasures, living in, in 
in wanton luxury. Their heart rate and their brain waves not realizing what's taking place even as the dragnet that's being brought through through time bringing all things to the to the shore to where they'll be sorted out by the angels they don't even know what was about to happen to them Hybert said God did not put eternity into the hearts of of animals but he has in men so James is trying to wake them up while, while they walk the, the cattle market line. He's saying, you better get your heart rate up because you're heading for the wrong place. He moves from, from there to from hoarding to defrauding to and indulging and finally to, to abuse of the worst kind. Look at verse 6. He says, You have condemned, you have murdered the just. You have condemned, and you've murdered the just. How does that come into being having riches that are moth-eating? In the Roman courts, the lesser could bring charge against... Uh, the lesser could not bring charge against the higher, uh, someone higher up on the food chain. But the opposite could happen. The, the worker, the day worker, could not, take the, could not take the landowner to court, but the landowner could take the day worker to court. And James says that the rich had, had gotten to the point that they used their power and even the court system to get rid of anybody that opposed them. You don't like, you want to complain about, I, I, yeah, I, get, I said a dollar, but I, and I gave you 75 cents. You want to, you want to complain for the 75 cents? You want to, you want to stir up trouble? Take you to court. Had them condemned. Took the people to court, had them punished, even executed. Literally. And I think the point that James is making here is, is they would not allow their things to be taken away to the point that they, they were unchecked greed will lead you to, to do things that, that you would never think that you would do. That's why you have to protect yourself. You start with hoarding, and then that, that hoarding moves to, to getting it in ways that, that may be a little bit shady, to, to once you get it, to indulging, and, and then once you enjoy the pleasure life, you'll do anything to keep that, keep that life. You may say, well, I'd never do that. Watch what happens in your heart when someone tries to take something from you that you think is yours. <laughs> you, ever, uh, you ever had a pet, a dog, your grandma, your mom, your dad ever had a dog, even a little, one of the little rat-looking things, and, and it's eaten or it's gnawed on a bone, you stick your hand down there, what does that thing do? Ah! I mean, it will tear you up. That's how the human heart responds when anybody tries to take something from it. You say, how can Christians act the way that they do sometimes within, within the church? People will fight their own Christian brothers for power or position. People will destroy long-term relationships in order to just to be right. You ever been with a family trying to divide up a will? <laughs> Shoo. 
They'll fight over $5 in West Virginia. I don't know what it's like down here. And I think the point that we have to take away is protect yourself, really. Give and give regularly. It'll protect your heart. Enjoy what you have. Use it freely for the gospel. I think those are the two words that I walk away from this passage as I try to apply it to my own heart. Give and enjoy. Give and give regularly to your church. Enjoy what you have, but use it freely for the gospel. And if you find that you're too attached to to anything, let it go before it attaches itself to you. And you become like the little dog trying to uh, keep somebody from, from getting the bone.